You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome on in to the Beer Ladies podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood bean together with Tandy and Lisa. Hi. Hello. For yeast. (laughs) (laughs) It's an episode on yeast. Our little podcast is slowly but surely becoming a thing. Growing and dividing and conquering and making more episodes now that you can find on overcast and all the pod places and you can share and rate and subscribe and um, you can tweet on over at beer ladies pod because there's not enough letters for beer ladies podcast and you can come and facegrams at beer ladies podcast and you can watch our lovely faces on youtube beer ladies podcast and we're even working on our website so that the show notes will have a happy little home to be cozy so you can come and like listen there and so what are we drinking there today in Podland Tandy? What's in your glass? Woohoo. Okay, so since we're talking about yeast, I found myself picking between different sort of yeast known or yeast forward styles. Um I was torn between my home brewed vice, but then I found in fact I found a Belgian blonde. So I went I went for a good old Lefe, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Please don't shoot me. But it's a Lefe blonde, and it's just one of those kind of sure wins. Um, and, yeah, it's delicious. Absolutely delicious. It's a gorgeous one. It's tried, tested, and true, and summery, and consistent, mm. and oh. wonderful. I, I usually, I think I said Lefe, mm. or maybe yeah. Lef, I don't know. Potato, potato. Could be either. Lisa, what's new in the land of dark mild? Uh, well, no dark mild today, although I, I did still have one to put in my fridge. Um, but uh, sticking with an Irish beer, but again with a sort of Belgian quality, I've got the Atomium from Metal Man. So this is their <gasps> Belgian Amber. Uh, it, it's got a bit of a kick to it. It's 7.2%. So it's more of a, a sipping beer, but, but definitely, again, was trying to look for something that was going to have a really distinctive, um, you know, very, very yeast influenced or obviously yeast influenced, maybe we'll say character. So, so far, so good. And uh, I'll hold up the, the actual beer itself too. It's a lovely sort of straw gold color. So very, very nice and definitely gets a lot of those kind of, um, you know, a lot of those, uh, those lovely sort of scents. You do get a lot of that sort of, you know, 
banana cloves, all those things you get in, you know, sort of your classic Belgian, uh, Belgian styles and, uh, but they're quite dry too. So it's, it's, it's really good, but definitely, uh, has a lot of those phenols we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So definitely we'll, we'll dive into to some of that as we go through, but, but how about yourself, Bean? Ooh, I'm rocking a Western herd. Got a siege pale ale because Ooh, show it to our, uh... Oh, they've brought this into being, um, using, Ooh. where's the camera house yeast. Which is badass. Yeah, our glassware game is strong here at Beer Ladies Podcast. Tell <laughs> show, us your, show us your can there. Oh, yeah. For those watching on YouTube. Yes, indeed. Here we go. Ooh. Western Hood have got such lovely branding, don't they? They really do. I love how it's, it's all very consistent, but they have those variations in the color. It, it's very distinctive. Mm. Yep. Cascade, Citra, Amarillo. Um, 5.1%, water from our farm, hops, house yeast, malted barley from Ireland, and wheat. And uh, it's got like a little bit of funk, but like nothing overly just like manageable. It's, you know, like a, a balanced little bit of funk. So Yum. yeah, I I can get behind this. I'm, I'm delighted with myself. So <laughs> yeah. There's I'm really, really excited for yeast because, um, yeah, it's so you can't you can't see it. It's too little, just like one cell each most of the time swimming around, making uh, sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide and just being being a little tiny superhero. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, oh, it's absolutely the superhero of beer, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of amazing. So I'll just like quickly say kind of here's what to Google. Um, it's mostly today we're talking in, in about yeast about Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is like saccharine, like saccharin, like sugar and myces. If, if it ends in myces, it's a, a fungus. So we're probably talking about fungi or fungi. And I think you're allowed to choose if you say fungi or fungi. So I agree. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll uh, start with why do we care and, and what's, what are they used for? And then um, we can devolve into how to care for them and why are they the <laughs> way they are and, um, yeah, what makes them tick. So, uh, Tandy, do you want to talk mm-hmm. about some differences between, like, yeast strains and flavors for right. us and stuff? Okay, so so this is um, this is something that is just I don't know. It's so cool about beer because you know even if you only have four ingredients, you know malt, water, hops, and yeast, your yeast is just it is just one of the most fundamental decisions you have to make when you're brewing a beer, and it's one of those things that really divides drinkers. So mm. people like specific mm. styles, and a lot of it has got to do with the yeast. And the biggest separation between the different kinds of yeast that there are are ale yeasts and lager yeasts so that's like the really big divide and um, the differences between ale yeast and lager yeast are they're actually not as split as they used to be or as what people always thought they were but the, the big distinction is that ale yeasts are brewed warmer and they're top fermenting, which just means that once they're active, the yeast kind of float to the top and then they eat all the sugars from there until they eventually drop down. 
Now, lager yeast, you, you ferment it colder, um, sort of 8 to 12 degrees um, Celsius, and it's bottom fermenting. So it works from the bottom, eating, eating its way up, and it stays on the bottom. So if you think of kind of any style of beer, it's generally going to fall into one of those two camps, and that's generally dictated by the yeast. So um, it's even it's even weird because the ones that you think aren't an ale or aren't a lager often are, and there's there's a little bit of like mind fuckery that can happen when it comes to yeast. So there are some outliers like California Common, which is its own style and it's got its own kind of yeast, which is really a lager yeast that ferments at ale temperatures. So. Ale temperatures are typically warmer, around 16 to 24 degrees. 20 degrees is around their happy place. Um, and again, depending on what you're trying to go for. Um, but then there is even, even like more outliers, which are ale yeast, but that ferment really, really hot. And that's kvaik. Now, please, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I promise you I googled a Norwegian person saying this word, <laughs> saying this pronunciation. And the way I'm trying to remember is that it sounds like Viking, it's kvike. So mm. I think so, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So kvike is a, it's a, again, an umbrella term. It's a group of yeasts that were used historically in Norway and Scandinavia, but Norwegian farmhouse yeast is really what it's kind of called or how it's known. And it ferments really, really hot. So it's mm. almost 35 to 40 degrees Celsius, which is very warm um, for a yeast. So if if those are the two big splits between ale and lager, um, even though there are a couple of outliers or a couple of hybrids, there's there are some styles that are really well known because of their yeasts. And so one of them would be your wheat beers. So Weiss, Witt, um, and even Saisons, which are not only wheat beers and they don't even have to have wheat in them, but those are kind of almost Belgian-y, French, um, German, sort of very European-centric um, uh, beers, and they're often known for their yeast characteristics. You get, I mean, still within them, you'll get things like a Bock, which is a, a, a dark um Lager, almost a strong dark lager, a Baltic porter, a porter that is fermented with a lager yeast and then lagered for a long time. Um, and then, of course, you get what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, which is sours. So those those are a totally different strain of, of yeast, as we spoke about there. Um, and, uh, and, and please go back and listen to that episode if you're interested in, in sour beers. But really... Just to kind of sum up, there's this ale lager, there's ale yeast and lager yeast, just like there are ale beers and lager beers. Although Christina has still yet to explain to me which came first properly, ale or beer. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure Lisa will, will fill me in. But there are certain beers that have got certain characteristics that come directly from the yeast. So a lot of the Belgian styles, um, if you talk about like the Belgian blonde that I'm drinking, that comes, it, it it, it's very, very, uh, the flavor that comes from it, that the warmth, the spiciness. Spiciness is often what we think of as phenolic, which is phenols, mm -hmm. which is clovey, um, spicy, spicy, hot, spicy, warm. Um, those come from the yeast. And then in your vice or your vit beer, uh, beers, your vice, that banana that you get from it is, is an ester that comes directly from the yeast. In your vit beers, where it's coriander and orange, comes from the yeast. And again, clove, your phenolics come from, from your yeast. So there's so much to talk about when it comes to yeast. Um, but that is kind of the overall, the overall landscape. 
Lisa, what are you going to tell us now about how we even discovered yeast and, and why it's important? Yes, and a very, very good question because it's, while we have a very clear sort of date at which we, we, we know we being kind of white men who are important, again, in air quotes, <laughs> people have known, obviously, that there was something else involved in, in helping to ferment their beer. And, and again, we, like we talked about in our sour episode, you know, obviously there's the open fermentation where you just kind of put stuff out and hope for the best. But we do know that all, you know, throughout kind of the history of beer making, and, and I think it's, it's really interesting to tie to some of the sort of Scandinavian and you know, sort of Finnish farmhouse styles, because we have really good evidence for how they would continue to propagate their yeast with either these, um, I'll try to show a, a picture, uh, but we'll, we'll put this in the show notes. I had yeast logs. And, you know, we, we think about the Vikings having sort of magic brewing sticks where, again, you would stir, you know, you, as you're doing your, your work there. It's all just kind of in there. Obviously, it's getting all those good yeast, and some of them are still alive, just kind of hanging out for a long time. So these would be passed down in families or, you know, potentially also, you, you get a lot of nonsense written as well. So I know Christina's not here, but I'm going to say there's a lot of ritual where people be like, oh, it was magic. It's like, well, they think it was magic or where they're just like, this is the thing I use and I know it's important. Mm. So again, it, you know, mm. that doesn't make it not cool, but it may not have been as um, sort of unexpected and, and again, sort of magical to people as, as we might think. But then you do get then going into sort of 17th, 18th century, these yeast logs or these sort of yeast reeds. And again, we have really good evidence for these things, especially in Scandinavia, Northern Europe, there are probably, and the article we'll link in the show notes, suggests there are a lot more in museums, maybe folk museums that are just not correctly labeled because people didn't know what they were if they hadn't been involved. But again, these are things that would be you'd be using in your brewing process. You'd keep them and you'd use them again. So essentially like your sourdough starter, you've got mm. the same thing going on there. And I think, Bean, you're probably going to sort of get more into that. But then when we get into the sort of Mm, industrial brewing numbers, men doing important science. Or it's still a very, very interesting story because it's, um, you know, again, it, there's this idea that all people didn't know what they were doing. The Reinhardt's Kibbutz doesn't mention yeast. Of course it doesn't because they didn't know where they, there were these, you know, happy little organisms do, doing their thing. But again, they knew something mm. was happening. And there was, of course, as you get to that sort of more industrial era, you know, you're trying to keep your quality up, you're trying to, you know, brew on an industrial scale. And if you're getting bad microbes in, or you're getting, a, you know, a sort of rogue yeast in, you know, that reputation is going to spread, people don't want to buy your, your, you know, peculiar, your, your, your potentially more expensive lager beer. So we do first get uh, von Leeuwenhoek actually discovers yeast cells when he's first, you know, putting together the initial microscopes, but he doesn't know what's alive. He doesn't quite know what it is. He's just like, oh, there's that. And if you want to go down a whole rabbit hole, you can look at all the things he looked up under his early microscopes. It's a, it's a whole thing, but less around yeast, but very interesting. But then, you know, we get Louis Pasteur, who's like, aha, I have this whole idea. He really kind of does figure out in 1857, there is yeast. It's a thing. And he goes to the French brewing industry, not the wine industry, but the brewing industry. So again, think about that. And what that might mean, why we don't think about the French brewing industry as much these days. And they're like, nah, they're just not particularly interested, even though he's like, but I will give it to you for the nation. And they're like, whatever. What if? So, <laughs> yeah. So instead, we get Emil Hansen, who's a chemist at Carlsberg. Mm. And in 1883, so again, we have this sort of 25 odd year gap where we know what it is. We start to figure out it's a thing that's alive and that it's a thing you have to kind of keep happy. Uh, you know, that's when Hansen is really able to figure out, oh, I can isolate it. 
I can clone it. I can keep propagating this initial strain. And that's why we do then get the Saccharomyces carlsbergensis, which for a long time people was like, people were like, that is lager yeast. Now again, it gets a little more complicated because maybe they're not so different after all. Maybe they're really all kind of different versions of, of kind of the same thing. But it's really that, you know, Carlsberg are the first brewery that really figured this out and realized we should invest in science. And if you go to the Carlsberg tour, which when travel is a thing again, highly, highly recommend go to Copenhagen, go to the Carlsberg tour because they've preserved his lab and they've, they've all sort of set it up as a, essentially a museum exhibit, but they completely understand a lot of our success, which obviously carries on to the modern day is because we figured out the science and we invested in it and continue to do that. And I think, and we'll probably come back to this, there's something really important about uh, then how you have kind of, you know, your kind of house yeast and what that character is. There are certainly breweries that I love because I just really get along with their house yeast and others where I'm like, it, it's not for me. It can have such a huge impact, this tiny, tiny thing. And uh, you think too, how more and more breweries, um, you know, really get, oh, you, you know, this is where we have to invest in is in kind of the, you know, the, the quality, you know, the science side, it's keeping that yeast happy because if it goes off, you're kind of stuck and it's not like I was going back through my some of old some of my old uh, homebrew books where it's like look just rock up to your local brew pub they'll be happy to give you all the yeast for you to brew whatever you want at home and I was like that's adorable and I remember when that was a thing that happened and you can certainly still you know get your yeast out of your Duval bottle or your, your Orval bottle or, or whatever you can still do that but I don't think people are quite as willing to be like please take our scientific intellectual property and you do you with it. No, yeah, it's it's not that uh, there's not that much free love anymore. So they'd be safe enough with me. I wouldn't be able to do much <laughs> with it at all. And I, I think there are still plenty of places who are like, yeah, sure, why not? But I, I think enough to like, uh, we we've invested a lot in this. No, you you go go buy it. So relatively easy now to buy a really specific yeast to get exactly what that quality is you're looking for if you're home brewing. So much easier now. I mean, it's it's obviously a complete myth that yeast was <laughs> was always just available in a little sachet or a little vial. So it it is one of those things, like almost back in uh, tracking back there, Lisa, that people people knew what yeast was. They just yeah, didn't know absolutely that they knew it did something, and they knew that there was something there. So it wasn't it wasn't magical in the way that that. I actually revere it now. I think it's complete magic, but but magic is just Absolutely. something that you don't know what it's called or how it works, right? So you know, it's one of those things that, that people knew about um, grains or fruits fermenting for many many years before anybody gave it a name, and there is still that raging debate as to whether beer came first, wine came first, bread came first. You, you know, and and, and, and how that goes on. I'm sure Lisa, you've probably got some some more updated knowledge on that. Yes, or opinion. <laughs> Yay! Because I really, I really, really want to believe it's because of or maybe because me. of beer. But so, uh, I won't, I won't temper my won't. Yeah, ooh, or mead. Didn't even think of mead exactly. So. I mean, what we spoke about in the Sours episode is that there are so many wild yeasts floating around in the air. They're on everything. They're on fruits. They're on plants. They're on your grains. They're on absolutely everything. So initially, it was probably that everybody just fermented with whatever was going around. And that would explain a lot of the sort of farmhouse ales, I guess, and the fact that people could pass on their 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 yeasts. And they'd, and it was absolutely precious. Um that's in the case of Saisons. It's also in the, in the case of Vike. It, it, it's in a bunch of different places and not even just Europe. Um, 
it, it would probably be all over the world in, 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 its, in its own variety. Absolutely. So yeast was well known, even if it didn't have a name or even if it wasn't completely manipulated, right? Now, nowadays, we are so lucky <laughs> that we can go to, we can go to a homebrew shop and just go, you know, scrolling through, you know, almost, almost hundreds of different yeasts, depending on your, on your supply. And you can just be like, oh, cool. I want to brew this. I'll do that instead of cultivating it and keeping it alive. And I mean, yes, one of, one of those things that's, I, I think it's really cool. And as a home brewer, like I love the selection, but I also, I revere at the amount of effort and scientific discovery that went into making something like that little packet as stable and as long lasting as it is now and as easy to consume. Absolutely. It's, it's, and when that's the thing too, some, you know, you do get these yeasts that are sort of lying dormant and things for, sometimes hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. And that's fascinating. Like you can sort of reanimate the yeast in a lot of cases. A beer I used to love that I used to get all the time was Flag Border, which was one where it was yeast from a shipwreck. And I'm just looking up to see when the shipwreck was. The shipwreck was 1825. And it was just a really, really good beer. And you know, again, I think whenever you're brewing a sort of historic beer, it's still going to be different in some way. Hops are different. You know, the grains are different. There's just going to, you're going to get a different yield from, mm. from what you're brewing. But to be able to use a yeast that is that old that you've been able to kind of wake up, it's just cool. And it gives a really interesting, unique flavor. And, and when, when there are like the recent genetic studies on yeast trying to sort of trace them back, they don't make sense, make sense in air quotes necessarily and it's that's i think more interesting than if it was a sort of clear oh well we know people in anatolia were making things or people in western china whatever i like that it doesn't quite match up because then it's like are we missing pieces of evidence or mm. is there just something that that's much bigger mm. and way cooler that we haven't thought of so exciting times yeah 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 Absolutely. And actually, like if you if you I've got a, a lovely book of about the the natural history of wine by Ian Tattersall and Rob DeSalle, and they they go through like how if you take some wild strains of yeast, um I think they they were talking specifically about uh Saccharomyces paradoxus, it's quite clear in the DNA typing where that strain of yeast came from but saccharomyces cerevisiae that humans have taken around with them the the um their genes are all mixed up over different parts of the world because we've traveled and we've taken our Mm. fermented products with us and and so like their their different um genomes are are a little bit mixed up because we've we've traveled around with them Oh, no, I was just going to say, just to that point, I, I can't remember if, it, if mm. it was South America or or somewhere in the Pacific where a lot of the genes come from and people are like, what? It's like, but, but you took boats and went all over the place. So it's, you know, it's just, again, you have to sort of think, what does the evidence say instead of having this sort of, you know, very Western white narrative about, oh, this happens. Like, no, everyone traveled all the time. And that's what's so interesting is there's this huge just it's it's always been passing back and forth it's fascinating i was reading an article but i don't think i'm confident enough to actually keep keep it here which we'll probably edit out but there was an article about like mm, specific yeah. yeast strains that were found almost everywhere in the world except yeah. for europe and i thought wow how cool is that um because because we've also got a very like european centric view of like yeast how it was discovered and how it's used and 
it really isn't. I mean, you can find almost this strain of yeast between the Americas, Africa and Asia and Australasia, but you don't find it in Europe. And I thought that's so cool. So cool. I, I want to say, especially East mm. Africa, East Africa is kind of what coming, what's coming to mind now because some of those traditions carried on, like again, kind of similar to some of the brewing stick idea, you know, using, you know, keeping the yeast alive. It's just like, you know, how come that kind of fell out of favor in a lot of Europe, but it was maintained in other places clearly. And it's, it's fascinating. This, this, um, this idea of a yeast stick is actually really fascinating to me. I didn't know a lot about it before preparing for this episode, but looking at, at, at Kvike and how it was passed down in these sort of Norwegian farmhouse elves and, and between mm-hmm. families and, and whatnot. I mean, it's, as you say, Lisa, it was like a thing that you'd yeah. use while brewing and it would collect a bit of your yeast and whatnot. And then it would sit and dry, like in the, you know, in the brew house or in the shed or where, well, not the shed, but, you know, in right. wherever the, the brewing was taking place. And it would be warm enough because Kvike needs to be warm, like 30 to 40 degrees or so. It would dry out. You could either keep it on there just dried or you could then, like in today's yeah. sort of world, you could almost take it, put it onto like a baking sheet and put it into your oven at 30 degrees and it becomes like flakes and then you can rehydrate and use it again so it's it's one of those things that i think we also we've become very um very throwaway and very uh, convenience led when it comes to brewing with yeast at a homebrew scale um so we buy a packet of yeast and it's like a million little things little dots of stuff you rehydrate it you pitch it and then you take all of that slurry at the end of it and you just kind of throw it yeah. away meanwhile you could really keep it and if you wanted to you could freeze it you could dry it you can do a bunch of things that you almost never have to buy yeast again <laughs> you know the idea that you have to buy yeast for every single brew is absurd um it's just that it does take a little bit of maintenance and care to, be able to harvest it and keep it happy i'd say yeah mm. yeah Absolutely. Well, well, yeah, like like good sourdough starter or whatever. Sending have to keep yeah. it, you know, keep it happy or at least keep it sort of in stasis. You know, one, one of the one of the two. And mm. it's uh, you know, depending on what kind of yeast it is and all those things that that may be achieved in in different ways. But I think too, we we'd be remiss in an episode about yeast to not use my favorite brewing word, which is associated with yeast, which is flocculation, because oh, it's yeah. just yes. such a good word. I mean, yes. flocculation, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. So I have I have completely stolen a um, a few a few different articles mention sort of how to choose the right yeast for your beer. Mm. Um, and does it talk about flocculating? Is it, which is like clumping together does. and falling out of solution? And indeed. So there there are there are let's say six different things that you want to look for if choosing a yeast for your for your beer um and that it will go to tasting but i think we should talk maybe about interesting styles that have mm. yeast forward profiles after this but if you're brewing styles and you're looking for a yeast to use i think the number one thing that you're going to look for is what style is your beer what style are you going for you know you'd use a very different yeast for like an american light lock one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...as you would for an Irish start, as you would for a saison. So, there are, you know, you, you, you almost know where you're going to go based on the style that you're looking at, but then you can go deeper. So, you can go into attenuation which is basically how much sugar does it eat? So some, some yeasts will only eat um, partial amounts and it'll leave sweetness behind. Some yeast will eat all of it and it will be quite dry. Um, so imagine a saison is often quite dry um, and a stout is often quite sweet. So that will have to do with the attenuation of those yeasts. Then you've got flocculation. So, you know, does it does it drop down and clarify the beer or does it stay suspended? So partially, something like a vice um, is, 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 and its haziness is due partially to the flocculation of that yeast, the, the low flocculation of the yeast. It's also got to do with the high protein content of wheat, uh, wheat malt. So it's a little bit of a combination. It's why you can also get hazy IPAs because the protein, something like, oats or wheat will contribute to that but you can also get clear vice beers like a crystal vice mm. is clarified um so there's there's different ways that you can play with it i love brewing oh. it's amazing <laughs> so <laughs> so then the other thing is alcohol tolerance so alcohol tolerance will tell you whether your yeast can handle um high or low abv beers and 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 for instance a high sort of thing is maybe like a barley wine or something mm. like that which it needs to eat a shit ton of sugar before mm-hmm. it's done. And it's going to take a while because there's a lot there. Okay. So that's sort of a yeast. Either you, either you increase the amount that it's uh, the amount that you're pitching, or you choose a yeast based on its ability to handle a lot of sugar versus low, which is cream ales, like lagers, blonde beers, you know, those kinds of things. Mm. Temperature range is um, pretty much, pretty much fundamental to the style or as we as we know it but it's also fundamental to how you choose yeast because of your own equipment if you can't if you can't control your temperature of fermentation if you can't maintain let's say 10 degrees or 8 degrees for a lager there's no point in choosing a lager to brew it's just not going to work because when you stress yeast out it gives you all sorts of bad things but when Mm -hmm. you keep it within its ranges it's phenomenal so then the other thing is the sensory profile. So this is for me where it's quite interesting. So 
The sensory profile is kind of the slightly more subjective part of, of what yeast gives, but there are there are things that yeast gives off. So esters, which are fruity notes, fruity aromas, fruity flavors, phenols, which are spicy notes, spicy aromas, um, and then fusel alcohols, which are warmth. Um, and yeah, is there anything more to fusels there, Lisa, that I'm I think of that like alcohol heat or that. Yes, yeah, that yes. Yeah. And it's weird because, you know, again, depending on the style that you're looking at drinking or brewing, um, some things will be in style and some things will be out of style. So having warmth in like a lager mm. is a terrible idea. Would be Ooh, off. Yeah. like no. totally, totally off. Why on earth would you need that? But having warmth within a Belgian blonde is on style as long as it's moderate, not high. Um, so there is there are things that you'd look at then in terms of the yeast that you choose to brew with, and it would be according to the style, the attenuation, the flocculation, alcohol tolerance, temperature range, and the sensory profile. The biggest sensory um, sort of thing I can think of is like, especially with a vice, you know, to get those um, banana and clove notes. For me, it's really interesting because if you depending on the yeast that you choose, you can also um, tweak it a little bit to your liking with the temperature that you ferment at. So if you ferment slightly warmer, 18, 19, 20, 21 degrees, you can get more banana. If you are fermenting lower, so 18, 17, 16, 15, you can get more phenolics so that your clove and your spicy notes. So not only does yeast have its own range, and often it's quite big, um, but it it can be manipulated depending on what you're trying to do. And to your own tastes, which is really cool. Yeah, and absolutely. And awesome. think of the impact too, not just on those flavors and those those aromas, but on the mouthfeel too, because when you do get those phenolics, you can get that kind of oily character mm. as well, which can be good or can be too much. And again, you have to kind of tweak and, and you know see what you're doing. Or again, talking about something like like a wheat beer where you can get that soft, you know, or or mm. now with all the hazy IPAs, that sort of soft character. And it's again, that's all, you know, what's your protein, what's your yeast, how are they, how are they playing together? So yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's um it's really, really cool because all of the different flavors that yeast can lend to your beer, like they they change. So some of the some of the flavors that you might get from a yeast are very clean, which is yeah. typically your sort of American ales, IPAs, pale ales, you know, you often want like the hops to shine rather than rather than the yeast. Um, then you get, let's say, more of the, the British yeasts, which often have things like diacetyl, which is a butterscotch, um, that it, it will allow, let's say, more diacetyl to, to be produced, which is more accepted within British styles of beer. Um, but they're also quite fruity. So if you imagine a fruit with a, a mm. almost a butterscotchy, toffee kind of flavor, you know, that that comes from the way that the yeast works with the with the grains with the hops um, and everything else and then of course you get the belgians which are you can almost tell when somebody's tried to brew a belgian style beer but they don't have it right like you can tell because there's just something isn't there about a belgian beer regardless of the style you can just you can smell it and you can taste it and it's it's, um, it's been cultivated over many years yeah yeah i, I always think of one I will not say where it was but many years ago and it was it was uh you know advertised as a double and I was like I like a double it was fall you know cool weather just thought this would be lovely and you get it and oh no no I was like oh honey no no but again like it had all these like weird un- inappropriate phenolics and again you your you know your double can have all that sort of candy sugar that sweetness but your, your yeast needs to go in and do some things about that it, it can still have that but it was just like 
Mm. Like you say, it was like, they did like, we'll make it Belgian and dark and that'll be a double. And you're like, mm, no, no. no yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work much. that way. I yeah. mean, you could take the same, the same ingredients, you know, the same grain bowl, the same hop bowl, um, the same water profile, and you can change just the yeast and you'll get vastly different beers. So yeah. it's, it's one of those things that, not for it's not important for every single style, but there are certain styles that it is very important for. Um, and so, yeah, Bel- Belgian um, ales or Belgian beers in general, very, very important. And we, yeah, yeah. And I think that clean profile is one that you know I love, you know, especially when I'm in the mood for it, just a clean, crisp lager, clean pale ale. You know, think of how modern that is, like how hard that, mm. that is to actually achieve consistently. And, and sometimes we like really slate breweries who do it like people will be like oh sierra nevada mm-hmm. always does that so it's boring it's like no guys <laughs> they've invested so much in like getting this right over all this time and cultivating that yeast for you know 40 odd years mm-hmm. at, at this point and uh you know that clean profile can easily kind of start going off in another direction if it's not yeah. you know consistently tested you know and again that propagation of that same house character that that's no easy beat so i, I think you know some of the mm-hmm. I think we have it less here in Ireland, but you certainly see it in, in the States and to a certain extent in Canada, I've seen it as well, where it's like, oh, well, they're too big. So now they're not that, you know, they're not as interesting or whatever. You're like, well, but that's not bad. <laughs> it's just bigger. So all good to drink local, but it's also nice to be like, well, they've succeeded in, you know, changing the market. And again, doing it with that kind of quality control, that's, that's a hard thing. So. Mm. Absolutely. There's, there's one other kind of yeast that I just want to touch on, uh, lest, lest we forget it, and that is a, a fairly, I don't want to say fairly recent, but it is fairly recent, a new and up-and-coming variety of yeast, which is the kinds of yeast that you use if you bring a non-alcoholic beer. So, mm. so, oh, yeah. so we touched on this now in our in our non-alcoholics episode, that there are different ways to produce a non-alcoholic beer. And typically yeast use was not one of those ways. But increasingly, there are varieties of yeast that are being created and modified to be able to, I don't know what they do, but they, they're eating the sugar, but they're limiting their output of alcohol mm. and carbon dioxide, I guess. So I'm not sure what they're doing with the rest of the byproducts or if they're yeah. like, I don't know what's happening with them. I, yeah, constipated yeast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it that they were eating one kind of sugar, but not another kind? So Could a lot be. of that was staying in? Could be, um, but but I think the point is to still try and get the same dryness and the same um, mm. lack of sweetness as as you'd get with a normal um, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, um, but with a different variety of it. So I think that there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening in that area right now, mm. even if we don't know all of the technicalities of it yet. But that is quite an interesting slant because yeast, um, you know, what we what we obviously found with a lot of non-alcoholic beers is that they're very sweet, they taste very worty, mm-hmm. very yeah. unfermented. Um, and and that's mm-hmm. not really what you want in a beer. And beer, you're looking for balance and there's and there's always a play of the ingredients. But um mm-hmm. with the kinds of yeasts and the kind of gen- almost genetic manipulation that we can look at now, there's a lot to be said for cool yeasts that could come up. And um you know, along with the uh, kvaik, which is an ancient yeast, but has been, let's say, resuscitated and, and popularized, not just because it can withstand high temperatures, but actually because it works really quickly. Like you're looking at a fully, mm. um, a fully fermented beer within about three days, 
which is incredible compared to the sort of 14 days you'd look at for other for other beers. Um, so that's part of the reason, I think, why commercially it would be something to invest in, in, in looking at those kinds of yeasts. Wow. Mm. <laughs> uh, for those who are listening, Bean made a great face. It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> that is because my mind is blown. It's cool though, hey? Like actually yeah. what I like is that it's ancient. It's completely, it's like at least traced back to the 1600s, the use of quike. And like now everybody is going absolutely bananas over it. And, uh, <laughs> and but it's it Exactly. Oh, yeah, what's old is new again. And, uh, and yeah, and there's different strains again. So you could, you could again choose and some of them will produce different kind of esters so you might get like orange and grapefruit and apple and melon and you know various flavors from them and others are slightly cleaner now i've never brewed with it because i i my house is way too cold to brew with the fuck yes. <laughs> like, it's not gonna happen <laughs> it's unfortunate I'll just wait till the summer <laughs> it'll uh yeah it'll still be too cold <laughs> no <laughs> I do, I do, I do have some friends, like homebrew friends, who have brewed with it, and they um, they enjoy using it. And and I think that there's a lot of potential in these outliers of the different kinds of yeast. So, um, you know, whether it's a yeast that can be used really hot, or whether it's a yeast mm. that can be used really cold, or a yeast that can be used at whatever temperature you want it to be. Like, I think those are really interesting developments. Absolutely. And I think too, like the crossovers with distilling as well, like you know, what's happening in, in that world from a yeast perspective, that I think is fascinating. And especially, like you say, what if you start traveling to other other places where again, from the kind of, you know, European perspective, people aren't thinking, well, what yeast do you use when you're making baiju or something like that? Like what would happen if you start to kind of mix some of these things together? I think there's, and again, you know, it might not happen kind of the first generation, but you can play around with those yeasts and kind of introduce them to other yeast friends and, you know, see if they get along and they may not. And that's, that's okay yeah. too, but yeah. there's, there's so much you can do and kind of play around in, in the lab and kind of be a, be a mad scientist and see what's uh, what you turn up with. And again, I think to, to look at some of these other traditions around the world where maybe there are these sort of long-term propagations of yeast that either haven't been recognized because the right people weren't looking at it or just kind of were seen as such a sort of normal domestic task. They were it was like, oh, that's the thing women did. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But, you know, to start to just kind of dig some of these up and put them together, like there's, there's, you know, again, like, like you said, like yeast has traveled with us, you know, for, for millennia. Like, what if we just kind of, you know, started harvesting it from other places and just throwing it in and seeing what happens? I think that would be tons mm-hmm. of fun. And you guys um, did a, a great job on sours episode and you were talking about um like some of the the german sours the gozes and the like belgian more like the the gooses and the lambics and like they're more kind of open the whole vat is a stir stick style yeah yeah and think about how that's becoming much more popular now so many people are investing in their having a giant cool ship which you know you can do if you have enough capital to like separate that from the rest of your brewery and uh but it's funny how that was seen as so sort of this dying art and now it's been revived. But what will that mean in the long term? I think that's a really interesting question as we get more and more of these sort of wild yeasts that at a certain point won't really be wild anymore. They'll just be kind of part of the terroir. So mm. I don't know. What, what do you call them? I don't know. Feral? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's like yeah. the captive ones that we captured. And there's a cute little, yeah. little I'll, I'll link a, like just a couple of minutes of 
Alton Brown on Good Eats with sock puppets <laughs> being, these are the captive yeasts, just because it's cute. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely a growing interest in people saying like, I'm just going to do like open fermentation, but they may, that may not be always, oh. always possible <laughs> or advisable. Yeah, if I were to go like, you know, stick a, a tank out in my back garden in Dublin one, I don't know that that would be that would be good. I don't, I don't think so. But. You, you know what I think would happen though, is that it, it's never good the first time and it, and it, it takes the reuse and the, and, and, and the refinement of it and it, and it's open, but you've got to be able to manage it somehow. I don't know how that, that happens because for me, open fermentation feels like controlled chaos and I have yeah. no idea how to approach it. And I admire anybody that does it. But like it, I think you could do it if you were patient enough to like really dial it in and 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 see what happened and realize that probably 10 or 12 batches are just going to be utter shite like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah the first batch will be like really really slow yeah and then you have to kind of take notes and just be super patient and see how it goes for terrible things like stuck fermentation and all these just weird weird Mm. things but yeah Lisa, if we go back to the Reinheitsgebot, okay, so for those um, who don't know what that was, that was uh, German brewing rules, effectively, of what could go into a beer. So it was water, yeast, hops. No yeast. No yeast. Oh, sorry, no yeast. That was the point. Yeah, no yeast. Yeast was left out. So it was malt, hops, and water. Yeah, just water, hops, barley. They don't even include wheat, which is interesting. because It was for the bakers, right? Pretty much, yeah. And that's the thing, because the Reinheitsgebot was actually, you know, 15, 16, such a small part of what is now Germany, I think, technically, at that point, is still really the Holy Roman Empire, you know, part of it. But it wasn't, you know, it was just this very local thing and kind of more of a guideline than a rule in a lot of Mm. ways. But then, like, you go to Munich, and they'll have it, like, up, you know, but, you know, it's still kind of a tourist thing. And I think it's been just kind of wildly overstated. It's really only in, in Bavaria. And again, they don't include the yeast because they don't know there's something happening, but they're like to them, that's a step in the process, whatever it is. They're not. Yes. They're it's not, not an ingredient. It, even if they are. Right. Effectively. Or were they not, so is were they not taking a bit of like the previous batch? That is my assumption. And that's actually something I would be curious to learn more about. And again, because my, my German is horrific. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, were they just taking something from the previous batch and tossing it in? Which makes sense to me is that you would start each old because you would have learned that from like yeah. doing sourdough and exactly and yeah, sauerkraut so. even. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, they they don't talk about the yeast, but it is also interesting that they don't talk about about wheat because exactly the same thing. Wheat's for for baking. That's for your bread. And but it's obviously, the, in other parts of Germany, they're making wheat beer. So. so is that is that the distinction? Is that the places that you'd get wheat beers and vice beers would not be in the same place as Reinhardt was in place? Yes, but like it, okay. it's all a little it's all a little fuzzy, and there's there's not I think because also people are using uh, they're using wheat and rye in baking, but you can also use obviously wheat and rye in brewing, mm-hmm. and certainly mm-hmm. people were in Germany, and you're not including other things like you know again you're you're thinking about. If they're making a gruit somewhere, what else are they putting in? It could be anything. I mean, and mm. especially if you're thinking about sort of the 16th century, people are putting whatever's around. Or whatever's in. cheap. You know, you've got fermentable sugars, toss it in. You know, it's all it's all good. So it's it it is a weird thing, but but it you know, it has had this this impact where, you know, these days you you go to Germany and it's like, 
logger, 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 like, and they're all good. But I think that's a little overstated because like, what would a logger have looked like in the 16th century? They were just kind of figuring mm. out that whole mm. thing. It wasn't like they were making these crisp golden loggers at that point. No, they, they weren't. They were still making these mostly dark beers that would have probably had rye, probably had wheat, you know, all mm. over the place. Yeah, but we'll have to do a whole like German beer thing because it's really, really interesting, but it gets sort of trotted out when it's convenient for people. It's that kind of, that kind of thing. So I have a question. Um, Lisa, you might be able to help me with this. And if it goes unanswered, then so be it. We'll put it out to the public and maybe we'll do an episode. On maybe it. they'll know. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my, my question is like, it doesn't make sense to me how kvike, let's say, mm. can, which, which is something that needs to be fermented really, really, really warm, comes from a country that is exceptionally cold. And lagers and lagers, which needs to be fermented cold, <laughs> is very is very dominant <laughs> in very warm countries like South Africa. So how oh. on earth is that a thing? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Maybe it's just like whatever was the hardest to do. So it was all the weird mm. flex. Like, Caves I and mean, saunas, it, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one nothing. thing I think of for like kvikes and, and that kind of thing is you also have all the sauties. And if you're brewing it, you know, traditionally by putting your hot stones in the water, at least like you can kind of control your temperature that way. I did write an article on Kavik, but it was a long time ago now. So who, who knows, but I'll have to dig that up. But that is interesting, isn't it? Is it just like, yeah. what's the hardest to do there? So you can be like, look at me. Or, or is it what is going to be the best beer to drink and, yeah. and irrespective of how it gets brewed? Because look, only, only from a South African perspective, you know, lagers were obviously very big. Um, and we had SAB and and they were obviously the biggest um, brewery in the world before before AB Inbev came and took over and bought them. Um, but but lagers were really um, really a staple. And for a country like South Africa where it's warm and hot, you know hot most of the year, even in winter, like outside it's warm. Uh, lagers make sense because they're really refreshing and it makes mm-hmm. and you drink them cold. Uh, you know even if that's a little bit. Um, even outdated, you know, because it's you don't want to drink your beers at like zero degrees or two degrees. But anyway, it still happens, but it makes sense environmentally. But what doesn't make sense is the fermentation of them, because fermenting a lager or, or brewing a lager and fermenting it means that you have to have really good temperature control. You can't just ferment a lager at twenty-five degrees ambient heat. It's going to it's going to be all sorts of crazy. Um, and and then you still yeah. want to age it. You know, you want to ferment a lager, the lager yeast, you want to ferment between eight and 12 degrees. And then when it's done, you'll, you'll raise it a little bit to get the diastole out. But then you want to lager it at like two to four degrees for about a month. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not something that you just have um, lying around in a warm country. So Are there caves, though? That's, they, that's yeah. one question. Did they, use did the they logger in caves? Because they did in the U.S. Like the German brewers go to the U.S. Midwest in the 1830s, 1840s mm. because there are caves and they can logger. So interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Like because lager was one of those colonial imports to South Africa, yeah. there's, there's lots of local kinds of beer, but they're not what you call clear beer. They're cloudy and they're generally... Um, um, using almost a lactobacillus or something to um, to add sourness. There's a lot of like sour sour styles in South Africa, um, so it's a colonial import. So I wonder if there wouldn't be something like um, bringing bringing along casks, kegs, or something to, to kind of store them in. I don't know, but this is now the 1600s, really. Yeah. Well, you Crazy. know what this is to me is post COVID field trip. <laughs> we should all you know 
do a, a big trip to South Africa and Once uh, I know. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, you can be our tour guide and uh, we'll have to Let's you know, get a definitive book. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. That's cool. And and before we go, maybe we can send people vicariously over to the National Collection of East Cultures yes. in England in in Norfolk, and uh, they've got like four thousand and more strains over there, and you can go and look for them by head formation and head retention and deposits and attenuation clarity and final product and flocculence and and you know they can hook you up with one for a a small <laughs> maybe. A large price, but like there's so much, there's so much yeast. Do we have any final uh, thoughts about our ask of my seat friends before we how cut this about, baby short and get out? How about here? a question? How about a question? Sure. If you had to pick your favorite, like yeast forward or yeast dominated style, what would it be? Hmm. You go first, Lisa. Oh, that that's a really, really interesting question. For me, it's probably going to be something like uh probably like a belgian vit but actually you know what i'm thinking just i'm going to allagash white so i'm gonna pick a u.s beer that's just so clean refreshing but has that you know just that gorgeous character and if they would like to start distributing in ireland i'd be happy to help that happen so just put that out there guys we'd be happy to have your beer here but i, I think yeah something like that where it's just such a great interpretation of the style and just so accessible and i don't say accessible is like damning with faint praise it is a gorgeous beer just yeah i'm gonna go for an allagash white so vit beer just perfect mm, vit beer lovely choice bean how about you um well actually i've been really really enjoying whatever the house yeast is in the siege <laughs> pale ale or i would go for maybe an Otterbank mad wild mixed mm. saison whatever just because it sounds funky farm stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that's cool. I think on my side, I, I'd probably go for something like a saison. I do love saisons, and I think the yeast character that can come through and and how much it can be manipulated is so awesome. So, like, I really do like mm. that. Um, mm. Yeah, saisons are good, but also I love a vice. I do love a vice. Yeah, simple, yeah. simple and delicious, and especially a junkle vice. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, oh yes. those are so good. Yes, yes, so yes. good. So, so, Not so enough of they're also yeah. good. Yeah, they're also so good. good. We want to numb them all. <laughs> right, uh, guys. I guess you better get started and answer our questions on the Twitter at Beer Ladies Pod yeah. and the Insta Face Tubes and the you know <laughs> website at Beer Ladies Podcast, possibly.com. And we are gonna see you next week with more of the beer ladies. Mm-hmm. Because more of the beer ladies. More the merrier. Thanks for <laughs> pitching in. Hi. thanks for that nice pun nice pun it's the the puns are primary we you know we know what our priorities are here at the Beer ladies podcast so thank you for coming out thanks for spending your time guys thanks for being part of all of life life is complicated shouts out to the ask of my seats and uh yeah we'll see you next time bye, bye. bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.